we're going to go ahead and get started. So hi, everybody. My name is Jenny. Welcome to Miami podcast. Today, I have a super special guest with us. And I feel like this person doesn't need an introduction. So I'm going to do my best to do it justice. We have Do Not Diaz joining us today. He is, or I would argue you are one of uh, the most important writers to represent Hispanic Americans working right now. And I think that's it. It's so important to have people like you um, putting out work. You are a professor, a writer, an educator. You are a Pulitzer Prize winning author. All these accolades that I could just go on and on, but I'm going to stop there so that we can get to chatting. And thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. No, I appreciate it. Thank you, Jenny, for having me. I know um, it's not easy to put these things together, so I appreciate it. No, it's 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 a, a, a pleasure for me to this is a, a treat because um as I mentioned to you uh in my initial email I'm, I'm a former teacher so uh your your book played a big role in the classroom for me and it's it's an honor to be able to talk to you so um I wanted to to start with obviously at the beginning your childhood you were born in Santo Domingo, Dominican Republic, and you immigrated with your family to New Jersey. How was that journey? Well, I mean, I, you know, I had um, sort of the, the kind of immigrant childhood that I think, you know, for all of us who are immigrants, I think that um, how we understand that immigrant process is very important. Like, what is the story mm -hmm. we tell ourselves? And, you know, I came at a very specific time. I came um, after the Trujillo dictatorship. I arrived in the United States um, in the 70s. Um, and I came from a very humble family, you know, very poor family, um, into uh, an area of central New Jersey, right outside of Perth Amboy, where there was uh, almost no uh, Latinas, no Latinx, um, none of our right. communities were present. And so I won't lie to you, I don't recommend that. Um, immigrant lives are never easy, um, unless I guess you're super loaded, but certainly not the immigrants <laughs> that I grew up with. We didn't have easy ones, but um, yeah, that was a challenge. I mean, I always joke around. Um, uh, there were plenty of people within our community who didn't even know what Dominicans were. Right. So did they confuse you guys with Mexicans? Well, in this case, it was mostly Puerto Rican and Cuban and Colombians. Those right. That makes sense in the area. Yeah. And they just had no idea what the hell we were. They were like, what the hell is a Dominican? That's how wild it was. <laughs> you know, um, it was kind of, a, it shows you that this was a time period when, um, you know, you didn't have the kind of, um, you know, the kind of integration on social media, you didn't have like Wikipedia, people weren't on Twitter, people weren't seeing each other's videos. Um, I came to the United States completely ignorant. I had no concept at all what the United States looked like. I never saw a picture of the wow. United States before I arrived, never. That must have been quite a shock then. It wasn't, it wasn't easy. I mean, uh, but again, yeah. it did. You, you know, you have, um, you know how it is for those of us who know and work with young people, they, they have a resilience that as an adult, I wish I had. I rolled with right. it. Right. That's so true. Yeah. Because you think back to what you go through as a child and 
it, it really is that human spirit at its finest. Yeah, yeah. The youth, I, I yeah. How did you cope with the language barrier? I did not cope with it very well. <laughs> I had um had a lot of difficulty. My siblings, you know, we were five siblings all together, and my other four siblings um, really kind of just they just learned English very very fast. It took me a few years. I had to be put in special um, instruction. Um, uh, I had a lot of difficulty with English, so that didn't help either. But you know, one uh, compensates. But that's amazing because now you're you're you have mastery of the language so well that you write novels. Yeah, that- I, I, I I think that came out of that experience. I think I really really compensated. Yeah, that's that's mm-hmm. incredible. That's incredible. Do you remember any teachers that were like, um, I don't want to say made a difference, but really kind of made you fall in love with the language? Yeah, my speech therapist, uh, <laughs> Mr. Wall, Mr. Wiley. Um, yeah, I mean, teachers, uh, let me tell you, I was one of those, you know, for my first four or five, six years, teachers were the world to me. You know, I, yeah. it wasn't for them. I would never have um, made the transition Um uh, the way I made it. So I had, uh, I got nothing but, uh, you know, endless respect and admiration and gratitude. I mean, just a sense of debt. Yeah, I, I feel the same. I, I can remember everything about certain teachers, the besides their name, you know what I mean? Like the tone of their voice, their, their warm energy, their enthusiasm, teachers are, uh, they really do make it or or break it, you know, because yeah, no I also remember those teachers that really gave me bad experiences. So <laughs> it goes both ways. Um, yeah, most certainly. Yeah. I wanted to uh, talk to you about um, writing as an art form for you. What was that first experience with writing that made you go, wait a minute, I think I can do this or I have to do this, right? Because most artists feel like you you need this for your soul yeah you know i it's sort of interesting with me that i had one of those um you know i had kind of a uh a situation was a situation or i guess um my kind of reality was that um i loved books i loved reading i wanted to participate in books and reading I wanted to participate profoundly in literary culture. Then I discovered that I found writing incredibly difficult. And what was fascinating is that, um, you know, people say they find writing very difficult and they turn around and write a book every other year. I don't find writing difficult on a one or two year term. I find writing difficult in a way it takes like 10 years to write a book. And um, what was fascinating was that I had to come to terms with that the thing that I was compelled, called to do, I found very, very hard. And I, I have to tell you, often I, you know, whenever I talk to, to young people, I always tell them sometimes we have talent in things that we find very, very difficult. And so that was mostly my experience. My love for books was always undimmed and really, really intense, in some ways kind of pure. Um, but the difficulty I had with writing um, was surprising because, hey, 
sometimes we love things that don't always come easy. And that was my experience. Right. And I think that's so important too. that message that even though it's not easy, you know, it's something that you were compelled to do. And therefore you shouldn't just give it up. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's not the, it's, it's sometimes it's, you know, we sometimes, you know, we, we get a lot of stuff from television that isn't very helpful. And um, we tend to see the end result. And I think a lot of young people have this idea that if you're going to have talent at something, that means that it's like a young adult novel. You've, you know, yeah. you're born with this innate talent. It comes easily, you know, or it suddenly leaps out of you at a moment of pressure. That's not my experience. I had and you're going to gonna get it perfect every time. Yeah, or close enough, you know. I, right. I had to chisel this thing out of granite. Yeah, that's that's such an important message because it's it's true, especially with social media, which brings me to, uh, you know, exactly that point. You mentioned that uh, reading, you your love for a book came from a very young age. Do you think growing up nowadays, we're losing readers due to this... Uh, electronic addiction for lack of a better word well i mean it's that's an accurate description um, look um um yeah i i don't have look you can you can show me book sales all you want all day long um but the reality is is that um i think it's becoming harder and harder um for people to find time to read um yeah. i think that um you know, certain groups of people are doing most of the reading, um, you know, um, and I think that literary culture is not uh, as, you know, essential a part of people's lives. How could it be? We're competing with Netflix. We're competing with screens. Right. I mean, my God, you know, it's just so easy to sit there and scroll versus actually reading. So there's no question literary culture is under threat. Um, I think uh, that, of course, is nothing new. I, I think there's only been rare periods in histories where um, literacy and literary culture were, you know, sort of would be considered to be prospering. And I think we've got to, you know, fight the good fight. We've got to continually, you know, try to bring people into the circle of literary culture. We've got to continue to push books and create modeling. I mean, look, if you're young people, seeing you on your phone all day long, I, why you blame them <laughs> wanting to read, you know? My friends are like, I had a friend of mine the other day come in, I love this guy, I love him, love him to death. And he was complaining about his kids being on their screens all day. Well, this cat is on his screen all day, you know? And I had to kind of gently remind him, I'm like, hey, listen, I'm no expert, but you know, yeah. last time I looked, if you're gonna be on your screen all day, why ain't your kids gonna do it? Right, exactly. And it's, it's difficult to navigate because then they have screens for everything in their life, right? School, uh, now social activities, since we, we can't really be as immersed with each other as before. And now entertainment, everything's through a screen. So yeah. Yeah. The, the speed, you know, the, yeah. there's a lot yeah. of, there's a lot of difference between the slow speed of reading and the incredibly fast speed of the digital right do you think your life would have been different if you were growing up now i don't think i would have made it really i don't think i would have made it no i just yeah. i can't imagine this pressure i think i already suffer from depression i think um 
the, the, the demands of this kind of social media, um, you know, panopticon uh, would have cracked me. I'm someone who requires a lot of, you know, time to read, a lot of quiet. Yeah. I don't, I'm sorry. I, for me, for everything good that social media is and everything good, ultimately it's like an extension of high school. You know, yes. A lot of yes. Moronic bullying and groupthink. And, you know, there's a lot of good stuff too. But ultimately, I didn't like high school. I more or less dropped out. And, you know, as soon as I took a look at what was happening in social media, I was like, yeah, this is like high school part two. And I, I just, I wouldn't have made it. I wouldn't have made yeah. It. I couldn't agree with you more. You know, like uh, most of my friends have Facebook and all the other social media platforms. And Facebook came about when I was in college. And I never got it. I never got the appeal of it. I was like, why do I want to see these people on the computer when I don't even care for them in real life? And now it's become this whole thing where if you if you don't participate, you almost miss out on life opportunities to say. I mean, again, it's hard for me. I don't. I'm just talking about myself. Other people have other things that they really like. Yeah. Kind of just, I'm like, yo, do you? You know what I mean? Right. It's, it's I, I'm not looking for converts to my craziness. I'm hoping, yeah. they're, hoping, I'm hoping <laughs> they're not looking for converts. You know, I'm like, yo, everybody do you. I want to read books. And I'm, right. I don't need people, you know, that I don't need people barking at me all day long. And that's cool. Other people like it. Um, but yeah. I, yeah Yeah, it's true it's it's just like you mentioned there's a pressure there that I guess we're not really going to know the repercussions until these kids are a little bit older and we really get to see what what it's like for them growing up under this this weird sense of the world where everything is is real but not really because you're behind a screen It's, it's interesting no, I've just been glad. Let me tell you, I keep saying it. I just tell my friends, I'm like, I'm so glad I was not raised now. I would not have survived. I know. It's, I can't even imagine what it would be like. I'm a little concerned for my own kids, but no, they're heroes. we're trying they're, our best. <laughs> hey, they're heroes. The young people today that they are heroes for putting up with this. Yeah, I agree. Um, let's get to what one of my favorite novels from you, The Brief Wonders Life of Oscar Wow. Um, this novel is, as, as I'm sure you've heard from so many other people, I, I don't think I'm going to say anything new, but it's so funny. It's, it, ha- it's so, it has so many different dimensions. And I, I really think it's a standout for Hispanic American community. Did how did you identify with the character of Oscar or did you identify? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I find it hard to write without that identification. I I think, look, I think for me, um, I was a big old nerd, very, very big nerd. I had a lot of, um, you know, uh, a lot of similarities to Oscar and a lot of some, a lot of like differences, but um, someone who loves science fiction, someone who had a, a, a kind of a, a tangled relationship with his family, someone who cared about his family, but at the same time was tormented. All that made sense to me, you know? And um, I I thought for me, what mattered about this character and it was that he was part of a family that I understood. Oscar makes sense to me only because he's got Lola, he's got his mother, 
you know, and he has got, you know, La Inca and all of these, this kind of this, this, this strangely sort of both um, connected and mm -hmm. fractious Caribbean family made perfect sense to me. And so I think that's the way I did it. I, when I designed the novel, I designed it as a, as a story of a family. So I created the family all in one piece. Right. And I, I think that comes across beautifully. I, some of the themes in your novel are very, I, I want to say, all-encompassing, right? Like we deal with cultural identity, poverty, politics. How did you navigate having to touch upon all these difficult themes? Yo, let me tell you something. You don't even know you're doing it. Honestly, you're just trying to get from point A to point Z. Um, really? Yeah, I was just trying to tell this story. Um, now, of course, I structured it in certain ways that were going to, you know, they were going to engage um, in mm -hmm. certain sort of political fields. So, you know, I would set the story um, during a dictatorship that was going to you know, uh, sort of right. elicit certain things from the text. Um, this is a family of Dominicans from a certain racial, a certain class background, um, who certainly come out of a certain kind of a, a political, um, kind of a political, um, you know, um, gestalt. And all mm -hmm. of these things I knew were gonna help me sort of um, engage critically. But ultimately, at the end of the day, I was more, once I got to accept those pieces up, I, I was just, I was like a person who was weighing uh, over their head. I was just struggling to survive. You know, during the writing, I wish I could say that there was this kind of masterful executive mode where I was standing right. the work and moving <laughs> pieces slowly being like, nah, most of the time I was just flailing desperate to understand the book and to get each chapter in place. Right. I mean, that makes sense and almost makes it even better. I, I mean, wonder. not that you, I, I don't want you to suffer, but knowing that it was a, a process from the heart, right? It makes, makes me understand it a little bit more. Um, I want to talk to you about writing as, as a lifeline. Does what kind of role does writing play in your life besides obviously you're an author? Yeah, no, I mean, it's important. I think, again, I am one of these people who um, I mentioned earlier, man, depression, part of my everyday life. I think that writing has had a huge role in regulating me. Um, mm -hmm. It kind of keeps my brain uh, out of some of the, the, the pits, you know, the, the mind shafts the emotional mind shafts that uh, uh, right. threaten me. Um, and so that's, that's, you know, that's been a big part of it. There's also just the fact that, um, you know, writing brings out parts of me that aren't um, always available in what I call real life. Other people, you know, we were saying people have profound needs for their mediated identities. People like to be who they are in social media. They like to be right. heroes, they like to be uh, funny, they like to be all this. I, I, you know, the parts of me that need expression find their expression in my writing, you know? And so there's kind of a, a kind of a super smart kid that I'm not always in a place to be super smart. There's, um, you know, someone who's um, kind of uh, really, really, uh, 
kind of, you know, has a lot of compassion and a lot of, um, you know, personal history with uh, what I would say people who are older. You know, I was mm -hmm. raised by my grandparents and I kind of think my best writing is when I write about older people. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, there it is, you know. I mean, I think uh, it definitely has meant a lot to me, you know, and, um, you know, and it, it, I, I tell my friends all the time, it keeps me sane. Yeah. Right. That's, that's a big one. Have, and it's, it's so important to find something, right? For you, it's writing, but it does, it could be something completely different for anybody else that just helps keep you at ease. And yeah. like you say, regulate. Our, ourselves because life is tough very yeah do you have any advice for future writers or struggling writers yeah well, I mean there's so much advice I mean I think like the one thing that there is a lot of is advice it, but it doesn't mean that there's not things that aren't worth um, you know aren't worth sort of like emphasizing and it comes out of my own experience or at least my own fantasy of what my experience is right because we we the only the only thing that we misremember more than life is ourselves and um right i think that um i think for me you know the fundamental importance of fundamental importance of keeping alive your love of reading um yeah for me if you're not reading i couldn't do what i do i'm always looking for good books that encourages and inspires me. Um, the other thing is if you don't have a community, you need to find one. Um, yeah. You know, you need to have people that you can talk about this with. Um, I myself tend to be much more insular and isolated, but for other people it works. And uh, ultimately, you know the deal. Um, you gotta try to finish your things, whatever you're working on. Right. Um, even if it sucks, just try to get to the end of it. Yeah. And it's so important what you mentioned about community because writing can be such an isolating process. Oof. So it's, it's, I had never really thought of it like that to find a place where you, you feel like you have a tribe. Yeah. It's, you know, I mean, I always think that there's no accident that literary culture tends to enter most people's lives during adolescence, which is a, not only a turbulent time, but it's also very, <laughs> very lonely. Yeah. There's something about the loneliness of adolescence that um, lends itself to the community that one finds inside of books. That's that's so true. Um, I wanted to jump to our one of, of the books that gets read, I want to say not every night, but probably three times a week in our house, which is Islandborn, your book for children. It's... I, I can't say enough about that book. We love that book in our house. And I feel like I connect with it even more than my kids do, even though I'm not a child. Even I behave like one. Because there's Lola has forgotten where she comes from. And she's trying so desperately to remember and 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 make up this this part of her life and put it back together like a puzzle piece. And I, and I'm sure so many other people can relate to that. How did you, I don't want to say come up with that, but where was Island Born come from? Where did that, how did you come up with this concept? 
Well, you know, I mean, uh, 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 this, these kinds of books, um, books for young readers, books for children, um, books that are kind of going to be read collectively, uh, mm -hmm. again, they have much smaller projects. So you're able to be a little bit more mindful. And in this case, I was like, well, you know, the, what are the stories that, um, that are sort of uh, typical of the experience that I belong to? Um, that aren't always narrativized in kids' books. And one of them is this very strange connection that we have to these places that uh, in some ways determine so much of our identity. But for many kids, they have no strong connection, no awareness. Yeah. I, I think Lola is not an uncommon child in our community. Right. And then, of course, there was just the aspect that I wanted to write a book about something else. You know, when you read... Uh, a lot of you know kids books uh, written by sort of uh, white writers they're not tackling for the most part dictatorships though almost every single uh, diasporic caribbean and latin american um, community has a history of dictatorship that uh, weighs yeah. heavily upon them and so you know those things matter to me you know how much being dominican defined me and yet i had siblings define my family and yet I had siblings who had never been in the Dominican Republic. And yet Dominicanness and Dominicanidad was central to their identity. And just right. from that fact sprang Island Born. That I have siblings who were like, I'm Dominican, but had never been in the Dominican Republic. And it's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But that that search, that longing, you know, right. that ghostly connection that one has to a place yeah. mattered a lot to me. It's like you're existing in two places at once, but yet one of these places you don't, you can't really see. It's, yeah. it's yeah. wild. Very, very true. Yeah. Um, do you, how, how do you think parents can help their children keep that connection or cultivate that connection between both cultures or more than two if, well, you know, I mean, I think, you know, things are a lot easier now in the sense that there's like, uh, you know, once again, one can jump on a screen and quickly show a video, you know, yeah. show photographs. That was even photographs were not as easy. I mean, shoot, I had a handful of photographs from the Dominican Republic. Um, you know, uh, look, I, I think well, I'm not a parent, so I, I'm sort of cautious about giving too much advice to people who are actually in the in the real work, but I was a kid and I'll tell you what yeah. I would have appreciated. I think that, you know, I kind of wish parents were more, at least the parents, my parents had been more storytellers. Um, you know, they weren't, a lot, they didn't narrativize their own lives. They were very modest people and they didn't talk about the things that they um, went through. And I, I kind of don't need stories about their dictatorship days, but I wouldn't have minded hearing more about their joys and their adventures and their relationship to the Dominican Republic, that would right. have been awesome. I mean, if once a week my parents had told a Dominican story that's explicitly, consciously that, it would have transformed my life. That's true. Yeah, the power of storytelling is so simple, but yet we don't do it enough. No. That's, that's so true. Yeah, I, I think I can definitely agree with that. Because for my personal experience, I mean, I, I wasn't born here, but it, I think my parents were afraid to tell too many stories because we wouldn't become American enough, if that yeah, makes no. sense. Our parents, you know, they didn't have a lot of tools. 
So yeah, they, yeah. they grasp for the ones that they were hoping would be most effective. And right. you know, the thing about the trauma of immigration, it's like all trauma, it creates silence. Yes. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. one huge trauma after the other. Yeah. And you're just hoping to make it. So, yeah. But anyway, Island Born is, I highly, highly recommend it to all of our listeners. It's, it's amazing, no matter what age you are. But if you have children, you can't go wrong. It's, I've gifted it to for Christmas, birthday parties. It's, it's a hit in, in our circle. Um, so as I mentioned at the beginning, you're a professor at MIT. Um, and we, we already touched upon how important you believe teachers to be. How do you balance teaching and writing and all your other hats well, that you wear? I mean, look, basically, I'm just going to say this. I don't have children. So that means I'm, uh, I'm like a dilettante. I have so much time. You know, if you don't have kids, you're basically, I mean, you're basically the, a part-timer in the game of life. Um, right. And so it's certainly a lot easier um, if I had children and, or if I had children and was a mother, you know, uh, in a society like ours that unloads so much on mothers, I think that this issue would be far more fraught, but I have my privileges and I also just don't have kids. So for me, it's a lot easier, you know, right. I get to read on the job. Um, would I, let me tell you, I'm one of those people that if tomorrow I won Powerball, I would definitely, you know, quit all my jobs and just focus on writing. It shows you that it's course, you know, there are demands that take you away from the art. There's no question. Um, Whether it's an extreme one, let's say you got three kids and two jobs or one like mine where you have no kids and you have, you know, one job and some other small things. But um, ultimately, I have a lot more time than most people. I'm very, very blessed with that. And I try to keep it real simple. You know, I got to work for my, I got to read for my job and that reading helps me for my writing. Exactly. What's your favorite thing about being a professor? I did that for me. It's always the, the kind of the, the, the space that you help to create. I mean, you know, the nature of education is that education is meant to be a um, transformative engagement. It's meant that, you know, when one is educated, um, the person who enters the experience of education is not the person who leaves the experience of education. Yeah. You walk into a classroom and when it works well, um, the person who walks out is not the person who walked in. And for me, being able to help create that opportunity um, means everything to me. I was transformed by my education. My teachers created spaces where I could become. And I'm trying to do the same for uh, the students. Yeah, it's, it, it, it's so important for, for teachers to understand that power because you're right. It's so much takes place in that, in that moment, in that class time that can be crucial for so many people. Yeah, no question. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about my city, which you, you're familiar with, Miami. What do you I think? About, yeah. 
What do you think about the existence of culture here or lack thereof, some would argue. Some would say we don't really have culture here. Again, I, I don't know about that. You know, so, uh, the person I consider uh, the best living writer, Luis uh, Dantecat, lives down in your neck of the woods. Mm -hmm. uh, there's an enormous sort of uh, very, very vibrant um, and multi-layered artistic community, uh, a transnational artistic community. Um, yeah. You know, folks who, you know, um, have lived two, three uh, different countries and now they're um, in the Miami area. I guess I don't buy it. Now, look, does that to say that Miami, like most of the United States, has to deal with um, a reality that arts is underfunded, that mm -hmm. arts is disrespected, that, um, you know, there's not a lot of state support? No question. Um, is there kind of something, uh, is there something to be said about what happens to the arts in a space that sells itself as a vacation paradise? Yeah, I mean, no, I think that there are all unique challenges uh, depending on the places we come from. Uh, but again, I, I just, I, I think that uh, to kind of paint Miami with one brush um, is absurd. Um, you know, the amount of good work that comes out of there, the way that so many of our artists, especially our young artists down there, are making wild, fascinating and interesting things happen. Um, doesn't change the fact that, yeah, everybody outside of certain areas in the United States is struggling against commercialization, is struggling right. against sort of neoliberal impulses, is struggling with communities that have been disinvested in educational areas, is struggling um, with a kind of a, a cultural shallowness um, mm -hmm. that is being inflicted on us by our politicians and by our corporations, you know, that these yeah. are all real. But I, I, you know, one should be cautious because I guess if you're comparing Miami to New York City, uh, one would say, okay, yeah, all right. But I mean, that's like, how are you gonna compare yourself as a ball player to Michael Jordan? You know, if you're gonna right. compare yourself to, <laughs> you're gonna compare yourself to one of the DTs, um, you're not gonna come out feeling good. But I just think, you know, very much like New Jersey, Miami punches way above its weight. Yeah, I obviously I'm biased, but I agree with you. We have a lot going on here besides flip-flops and South Beach. <laughs> yeah, you meet people like you meet painters who are coming from Nicaragua. You meet yeah. oh, the, the things, the encounters I've had down there, you know? And then, you know, you have probably the most important, um, the most, uh, I think, um, central um, bookstore in all of the country, you know, what Mitch is doing down there. It's like, yes, you know, it's just from books and books. Yeah. You know, Mitch, yeah. Mitch is, you know, he's he to say that there's not a lot of culture there disrespects how much people like him have done. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's uh, and I think that's something that we're slowly getting to for people as people, more people decide to come down here due to the political climate or whatever reasons they have. And they're they're all moving to Florida. They're, 
they, I guess they get to see that there's a little bit more to us than the superficiality of it all. Yeah. Uh, fingers crossed for everybody, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I have to ask behind you, I see the map of, um, for Game of Thrones. Yeah. I teach Game of Thrones in one of my classrooms. Oh my God. How yeah, are those one kids? My, one of my courses, we teach Game of Thrones. So of course I've got Game of Thrones and next to it, I've got Lord of the Rings. Yes. Both, I recognize that too. Yeah. Both texts I teach. So, you know, it's kind of cool. I mean, for me, I don't know. If, I don't know if they enjoy it, but I, I enjoy the teaching of it. I'm sure they're loving it. Oh my goodness. That, that would, I would totally take that class if I was there. Absolutely. We are in our house. We're huge Game of Thrones fans. The, no, the book, as well as the TV series, but the books are definitely up there. So what is your favorite book to, to read? I know you're a sci-fi fan. Well, both science fiction and fantasy, I love uh, very much. I mean, I think I have like writers, you know, that, uh, you know, that mean the world to me. I mean, I think the uh, writer Samuel R. Delaney, I always say is just, um, was just foundational for me. Um, mm -hmm. The, I, I also, of course, I mentioned um, my contemporary, you know, Edwige Dantecat as someone who was a, uh, essential. I mean, for me, incredibly nourishing and inspiring. Um, again, I grew up in the 80s in the middle of another wave of African-American uh, literary sort of excellence. So, um, you know, I, I was a person who grew up reading as the books were being published, Toni Morrison's and um, Alice Walker, um, you know, Edward P. Jones, um, uh, the writer Edward P. Jones was just, uh, just kind of blew my mind. You know, you all have the writer who I admire and uh, uh, someone who knows um, just, just fantastic novelist, Patricia Engel, uh, Colombiana. She's just, she's just extraordinary. Uh, so folks like that, but you know, when I think of science fiction and I think of uh, fantasy, I, I'm, you know, I, I can't help it. I'm big, big, big Octavia Butler. Uh, you know, she's, she definitely kind of set my, my path in the world in a way. Yeah, that's, it's amazing. Have you ever considered writing in Spanish? Uh, no, my, my Spanish like is up and down after it's so funny. I entered the pandemic being pretty fluent as you know, the way I've been forever, but in my household, we don't speak Spanish. And the lockdown meant that I spent like over a year um, and my Spanish now just disintegrated. And now that I'm back out in the world, I'm beginning to slowly build it up. But who I was a year and a half ago, not who I am now. <laughs> I, I totally understand. Yeah, it's and it's a, it gets frustrating because you feel like, well, this is my first language. Why isn't this why isn't this working the way it used to? But I, I, now that you mention it, the pandemic did have a lot to do with it. So we it were messed me up, man. In our bubbles. It right? messed me up, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm sure if you ever decide to, I'm sure there's a whole world waiting for you to be able to read your work in Spanish. Well, not your, because it's been translated, but I mean, your work in Spanish. 
Do you have any future projects that you would like to share with us? Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm just, I've been working on a new novel that's kind of batshit. It's, um, it's kind of a, my first attempt at a science fiction book, but you know, I don't know what I'm doing. So it means- That's exciting. It, not really. I, it's actually, <laughs> it's pretty mediocre. It's actually intensely mediocre, but that's okay. Um, I mean, I can look back now on all my books and say like, wow, these things were not bad. Well, if I think this, because, you know, we all should have higher self-esteem to put up with the fact that the world is always bashing us. So I've been told. Um, I look at my other books and I'm like, yo, these things are not bad. These books are pretty good. They're like B pluses. This one. <laughs> B pluses. <laughs> this one's going to get this one. This one. This one will be lucky to get through the sea. So, yeah, I'm writing a science fiction book. It's kind of like I, I always a friend of mine used to joke about us as Dominicans and he used to say, you know, it's like, oh man, she used to say, excuse me, she used to say like Dominicans were Martians. And so I kind of took that and made it explicit. And I'm kind of writing a book about the last Martian hiding out inside of a Dominican community. And of course, um, you know, you can't, for all of us who come from the Caribbean, if you were going to be an alien, there would be no better place to hide out than in the Caribbean. People wouldn't even notice. Yeah. They wouldn't notice you were from another planet. Yeah, that so. is so true. Yeah, so I'm just kind of like having fun. We'll see what happens with it. Well, I'm sure. I'm sure it's going to come together and it's going to be great. And uh, I'm going to be there because no, that sounds amazing. No, that sounds very exciting. Um, anything else you would like to? No, answer? I'm just grateful to be able to talk with you and, uh, you know, give my regards to the young people over there. And thank you so much for taking the time. No, thank you for joining us. And whenever you're here, we would love to actually have you in person. That would be super fun to Wonderful. get to talk to you again. Well, I thank you so, you so much. much. Yeah, take good care. I will. You do the same. And good luck with uh, the new semester. I know you're getting ready uh, for that. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Cuídese mucho. Igualmente. Hablamos pronto. Sí, nos mantenemos en contacto. Un beso. Gracias. Chao, chao.